Welcome to the Razor's Edge. I'm Daniel Schwartzman, and I'm joined by Seeking Alpha author Akram's Razor. Each episode, we take an investing idea or theme that Akram has been looking at for his personal investing as well as his Seeking Alpha Marketplace service, also called the Razor's Edge. We look at specific ideas and discuss how they might play out and what research went into the thesis. In other words, we're sharing current ideas for your consideration, but also getting to the ins and outs of deep fundamental market research today. This week's topic is an interesting one. We're going to NVIDIA, ticker symbol NVDA. 2018, Akram was a public and vociferous short on the stock based on concerns, at least as I understand it, over cryptocurrency reliance, artificial intelligence, chip competition, and lack of management transparency. The stock stayed afloat for much of 2018, but then fell apart in last year's Q4. Flash forward to today, the stock had been choppy for much of the year, but is now climbing. And interestingly enough, Akram is bullish on the company. So what changed? We're going to get into it. And then either on this episode or potentially on our next episode, we may also get into the broader trading environment and macro picture, what that means for taking positions and names like this. Before we begin, quick disclaimer, disclosure, and a bit of information. The Razor's Edge is a podcast on Seeking Alpha's The Investing Edge channel. The views discussed belong to either Akram or me, respectively, and nothing on this podcast should be taken as investment advice. We'll disclose any positions in any stocks discussed at the end of the podcast, though up front I can say I have no positions in any of the stocks we plan to discuss, and Akram is along in NVIDIA. We're, we're recording this on November 26th. And just as a reminder, if you want to check out more of Akram's work, uh, if you're enjoying this podcast, you can, of course, subscribe to this podcast to get it regularly, but you can also check out Akram Razor's work on Seeking Alpha by typing in A-K-R-A-M apostrophe S space Razor on Seeking Alpha. You can also check out the Razor's Edge, his marketplace service. So with that said, Akram, good morning. Welcome on. Good morning. How's it going? Good. How are you? All right. So, why long NVIDIA now? Especially, I guess, trivially, the stock has already been climbing quite a bit, but what? why are you here? Why, given where you came from a year ago, why Why now? Well, I mean, uh, I've been, I haven't been short NVIDIA since uh, January 2019. So, I actually took a crack at it on the long side after the Q1 report, into the Q1 report, actually, which really didn't work out. And then there was, you want to call it, that uh, major sell-off in semis in May. Uh, I played around a little bit with some short on the chip sides, but I've I've been really non-committal. I mean, look, remember, I came to NVIDIA as a person who was long NVIDIA when it was a $17 stock, uh, back when I was doing short work on Mobileye, and you know I was a Super Bowl on Nvidia, and it went from I think seventeen eighteen to a hundred. I mean the Mobileye short fell forty fifty percent. Nvidia quintupled. I mean I, I didn't sit through Nvidia all the way to two eighty, and it was out at about a hundred. But a lot of what interested me in Nvidia from the short side was I had gotten so familiar with the AI element on the long side when i was looking at their the G, gpgpu business essentially when it was much more nascent 
when it was really more about who's going to be in autonomous driving when people really weren't so much focused on data center and whatnot. I mean, NVIDIA isn't like, if you compare it to like, you know, our last podcast when we're doing Invitae, uh, it's not it's not a business model short, right? So NVIDIA was at the time very focused on correction in inventory, a big one due to the fact of what was going on in crypto and the fact that the gaming business was going to be disrupted and actually had been overinflated by crypto and that was largely being ignored by the market and you had at the time what was you know a 16 17 time sales stock relatively speaking against semiconductor valuations that were far lower than they are today so when when nvidia was on a tear you go back and you look i mean you had nvidia at 240 250 back when amd was a 10 dollar stock what's amd today 40 dollars there was there was different dynamics at the time in terms of uh let's call it overheated overhyped and then you also had this beginning wave of competition in AI chips, right? So you had you had a shifting cycle from we just have NVIDIA to I mean it was like every two weeks you had a new chip announcement, right? So you had an element there where it was like the core gaming business is going to experience a major crypto related correction that nobody is nobody seems to believe is going to happen and there was just so much ample evidence and I mean we we discussed this in that podcast if you remember right and there was that sort of reset element there in terms of that yeah so you, you had like a 190 billion dollar company trading at 15 times sales that was about to have a massive inventory blow up and like the writing was on the wall, it's covered by everybody, it's loved by everybody, and the evidence, both in, in terms of being able to check what was going on with the add-in board partners, being able to visit miners, understand the mix, understand AMD, right? AMD, which I had been longer at the time, had been on a tear, and a lot of people were thinking that this had to do with elements of AMD's GPU business. And if you understood AMD's GPU business, you understood that NVIDIA's gaming business was really just massively inflated in the short run by crypto dynamics, right? And that was something nobody believed and management didn't help out with that because, I mean, I we, we can sit and speculate as to why, but it seemed uh, either they kind of missed the boat and they believed that it was all gaming demand. I mean, Jensen would get on the conference calls and say, you know, 55, 60% growth in gaming GPU revenue. And he'd be like, yeah, it was all Fortnite and PUBG, right? <laughs> so, I mean, like at the time, you didn't, you really didn't have to dig too deeply to figure out that was not the case. But in retrospect, uh, nobody believed it then. We can go back and look on crypto being not obvious or obvious or they screwed up or they didn't screw up. But, I mean, that was a huge opportunity in a mega cap stock that had been running on momentum. And you you were focused on timing that, 
because you know when when an inventory correction of that magnitude happens in a name like that, it's a huge money-making opportunity. And to go with that, you also had that was occurring at the same time this whole cycle was going on in AI, where every day you had a startup announcing that they're developing a chip, they've raised funding, you had the customer base in hyperscale. You know, it started with just Google and then it's Baidu's building a chip. And then, you know, the, the last one we got in the line was Amazon when they announced that they're building Inferentia, right? So you had like, if you looked at the data center market, you had the argument that, well, you know, there's, you, you have merchant silicon competition coming and the target customer base, that's the biggest, most important one, which is your Google's, Microsoft's, Facebook's, and Amazon are all exploring or developing specific ASECs, you know, around the use cases internally. And, and we also had other stuff like it, Tesla getting off them and developing their own accelerator and whatnot. So, I mean, in, a, in AI, which I would say was like an overlapping theme at the time, the argument was competition's coming, ASPs are going to get hit, margins will come down. And this is going to be occurring at the same time your core gaming business gets blown up, right? And you're fighting like you're fighting this tape of new announcements, right? You don't want to be like like look at it when we look about streaming or whatever, like Netflix, like every day a new competitor comes out, Disney Plus launches, this launches, that launches, you know, versus when if you were a Netflix bull, if you remember what it was like when Netflix was just the unstoppable stock back in its early days, it'd be like Netflix announces a new content deal. Netflix licenses this content. Netflix, you know, like it'd be like Netflix signs a deal with Fox. Netflix signs a deal with Disney. Netflix is getting this. This is coming to Netflix. And the stock will just go up every time there'd be an announcement like that. So why would you want to belong NVIDIA into an inventory blow up in gaming and knowing that every other day you have no idea where and, and who is announcing some new AI chip, right? Intel, uh, AMD's Radon, uh, we got this data center business, Xilinx, FPGAs, uh, so on and so forth. So I think when you looked at it then, that was that was a key, like, if you want to look at it from a sentiment slash headwind, you don't want to be sitting in that. But I mean, at the same time, if you look back when I, to the work I did on AI, the NVIDIA bulls would be like, look, uh, competition it will eventually come but nvidia's lead is so big and it's not gonna you know it's not gonna happen there's that uncertainty element right it's like their moat's too strong the software ecosystem is too strong it's very hard to build a chip around this to get developers to use this etc etc you're not just trying to design a piece of hardware you also have to be designing software and compatibility and it's got to work in a system and integrated level and those were all fair points at the time. And it was like, look, I get that, but you're kind of in a window right now where there's the opportunity for competition and the market will discount the likelihood of going from where NVIDIA was 100%. Nobody's competing to, you know what? Maybe they could lose. Maybe they could lose more than just a little. So that was your dynamic then. And I had said then very clearly, look, if we fast forward a year from now, if nothing major has happened, NVIDIA's position is going to get better. Essentially, that's kind of where we're at today. 
if you look at their position in, in artificial intelligence, which is really what, like the machine learning, deep learning element is what I'm really the most focused on from the long side. They're in, they're in better shape today than they were two years ago. So is that a reflection? There, there are a couple other things I want to go to about what you said a year ago to kind of think about, but that is a reflection of the competition thesis doesn't seem to have harmed them, Whatever the, whether they've proven to be better than the competition and have that moat or whether it's growing fast enough that it doesn't matter. It sounds like the competition thesis was not a long-term fatal problem for NVIDIA. Well, look, you can't draw those conclusions yet. Like, you know, developing some new groundbreaking type of specialized chip that with a software stack that gets adopted and and so on and so forth uh, isn't something we can conclude. It, it, it's how you measure it when you're looking at a stock. We were at one extreme where it was like, there's no chance it's going to happen to a point where, you know, there was like maybe a three month time period that coincided with everything that went wrong in, in the gaming business where everybody was announcing new chips, right? And everybody was getting new funding and this AI chip startup and that AI chip startup or this valuation, that graph core raises money at, at you know, a billion plus and Cerebrus is doing this and, uh, you know, half a dozen co- competitors are coming from China and so on and so forth. And it, the, you know, Bitmain is going to develop chips and it, like it, it was a steady diet of news, right? And I mean, if you go back then, I mean, you had – you had these startups making promises of like, you know, we'll have a customer win by Q4 of 2018. And I mean, you're now Q4 2019 and there really had, it hasn't been much. I mean, actually the first really notable news we got recently was that, that Microsoft is actually going to deploy graph cores chips for uses uh, in the cloud. Right. And that was just like two weeks ago, but it's it's been nothing and since then you know nvidia launched the t4 they've entered into the edge they got this just neat contract with the united states postal service which i think is very interesting the soft from a software standpoint i mean like you know gpu direct storage they're doing uh you know 5g virtualized you know radio access networks like they've they've massively expanded the use cases and this has really been more about the the software development pace that they're moving at than anything new on the hardware side, right? We haven't gotten a new chip of note in in data center since I mean Volta launched in I think it was November, December of twenty seventeen. It's about two years old now, the V one hundred. They haven't refreshed that yet. So I would say the their position in the market has from a TAM standpoint has become more convincing, particularly on inference. So the T4 is definitely selling well. That's a very like when we had discussed this at Daniel, if you remember, it was like, look, if the, if if Nvidia Nvidia was selling Ferrari chips, right, in, in the data center. I mean you were talking ten thousand dollar plus, right? And the argument was are they gonna get the high volume? Like inference, much bigger volume than training and inference largely being done on CPUs. Okay. And to a degree also at, at Google, they've developed their own TPUs. 
So the argument is that, well, okay, is NVIDIA going to come in with a data center level chip at a price point where they start to win meaningful inference business? And the T4 has has proved very successful very quickly. And that's when you've got someone at scale like NVIDIA doing that, how much harder does it become to compete with them? It becomes a lot harder. So they've essentially held their own in the high end of the market in the Ferraris, as you put it, but they're also now really in, in, entering strongly in the fiat. Well, I mean, market. it's actually pretty interesting. If you look at a lot of what I've, I, I, I said, what happened has happened, right? So NVIDIA's data center business was down 6% year over year in the last quarter, right? But on the conference call, they told you we shipped record units of the V100 and the T4. Well, what does that tell you? If your data center business is down 6%, but you're shipping record units of both training and inference, what's overall platform ASP? It's down. That was something that was a key crux in the thesis. It was like, look, they're going to see pricing come in. Now, the question is, is volume going to offset it? And for volume to offset it, you need to go out and you need to grab that inference market and become a displacer essentially against the CPU, right? And it appears pretty clearly they're making very good progress there, which for everyone competing against them should be a very scary thing because they were already well positioned. I mean, if you look at this market, remember when NVIDIA bulls would argue, look, there's a software element to this company right? Like the CUDA ecosystem, they essentially invented GPGPU, right? General purpose computing on GPUs. The CUDA ecosystem at the developer level, you do have to remember when you're outside the data center, like if you're a research person, someone playing around building an AI model, whatever, you can do this work on NVIDIA's gaming GPUs. And performance per dollar you know, if you get a 2080 or 2070 or 2080 Ti, is is amazing compared to the V100s and the T4s, right? But that part of the market, I mean, had been viewed as, look, yes, it's great. You're going to get all the research scientists, the data scientists. These guys are going to be using these cards. And that's always been a question in gaming, by the way, which, I mean, obviously for NVIDIA is very difficult to quantify. But when you look at the gaming GPU revenue, you're like, what percentage of that is AI? I don't know if you're familiar with this company, Lambda Labs. I've heard, I've seen the name pop up. Okay. So like these guys have done really well selling, you know, GPU workstations for AI. And they're all built with the gaming cards, right? So if you think about like, if you think about a university, any university, they're buying basically, you know, for their, you know, machine learning, deep learning classes and whatever, uh, the hardware that they're using are essentially these workstations that are put together by a Lambda Labs that are assembled and configured with, you know, gaming cards. So when you look at that market and you say like, I'm doing I'm, I'm, like if, if I'm a two person data science team at, at, at a small company or whatever. You know, we're not spending, uh, you know, tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars on a DGX or, or a DGX2 or whatever. Like, 
you can go get six or seven high performance gaming cards and build yourself an AI box, right? So like you always knew that part of the market because NVIDIA has a gaming business to subsidize that part of the market, it's going to be so difficult to move them away. And it's essentially like, you know, if that's, that's where you, 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 you own the, you know, the young engineers coming in who are developing uh, artificial intelligence models and they're doing it within their software ecosystems, within their tools on their GPUs. And those models, once they're developed and, then you want to train them on huge data sets. That's when you get into NVIDIA's data center business. And then at the hyperscale level, when they've, when they're developing their own and they want to do the inferencing and they need a low latency and, and whatnot, that's when you get into the system level problem. So the argument had been at the time, it was like, look, I'm not going to say like, you're not go- An AI chip startup is not going to be selling some new type of chip that young developers are going to be buying, you know, one or two units of that was never going to be the case. It was like, are you going to develop something that's so high performance that, you know, you can win Google's business or Facebook's business, right? And uh, essentially a custom accelerator that can plug right into a system level situation in existing data centers for AI workloads. And that's where we were arguing that at, at that level, the advantage that exists that NVIDIA has built moat-wise in the developer ecosystem is complete is less relevant because cost and performance and the engineering talent available and at hyperscale to customize is there where they can get around the software limitations. If you looked at it, that had been kind of the, the two-tier argument, right? That like NVIDIA's data center moat is not going to be that significant because you have a new chip startup can crack into there and the the talent to develop chips internally at hyperscale and the resources are there and they can customize they for them like just the way tesla has built their own chip or uh, to to accelerate their own tesla vision model this can be done you know at google at, at amazon and so on and so forth i would say like to a degree that hasn't changed Big time, but what 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 really has like that's still a risk that's out there, but it's closing the gap from the chip startup competitors has has proved to be so like so far at the software level a lot harder than let's say one would have thought eighteen to twenty four months ago. So I want to go. We're sort of. So far, we've talked about valuation reset, inventory reset, and then also sort of how they've held on to the data center segment, which was a big part of your concerns a year ago. I want to, you wrote an article. I wouldn't even say it's held on. It, it, it's, we assumed they'd be able to hold on to a good degree in the near term. I would argue that they've made progress on expanding into inference very quickly, which there were doubts on early on and they're also expanding the use cases to the edge i mean like this is one of the things i focused on when we were talking about the bearish argument there was the a, a, a microsoft brainwave right it's called an fpga service 
for AI where they announced a deal with Jable Circuits, contract electronic manufacturer, where they'd be using Intel FPGAs, essentially Altera, right, uh, that Microsoft has built Brainwave with to do quality inspection on manufacturing lines, right? And the argument there is that at the time was you can't use a GPU there because they're too expensive to put them out there at the edge, right? To do this, to do this work. I mean, you can train the model that is going to be doing this on a V100, but then you're porting that over to these FPGAs on production lines to monitor uh, quality inspection control and contract manufacturing, right? And, and like essentially image recognition type type uh, vision models where you can detect what do you call them uh, failures or whatever. Well, it sounds like quality assurance in general. I'm yeah, sure. quality assurance essentially, yes. So that was like a market where you're like, yes, here's an example of FPGAs taking this use case, right? And you're like, NVIDIA isn't playing in this market. Well, NVIDIA now with this uh, Jettison Nano, like if you look at the United States Postal Service, if you want to think on a scale, right? Well, and you, you said you liked, you were interested in that deal. I wanted to come back to that. So what, what's interesting there? Well, what's interesting about that deal is if you take the Microsoft, you know, proof of concept with Jable on quality assurance using Intel FPGAs to do the inference essentially at the edge and say, hey, here's a use case that the GPUs are not in, right? And this is this is a much bigger market because you're talking sensors everywhere, right? This is where high volume is going to be. And and here's an example with the FPGAs. Like, yeah, sure, the model is going to be trained on a V100, but Brainwave's FPGAs are what's out there, you know, in the manufacturing facilities, uh, facilitating, you know, this quality assurance. Well, NVIDIA Jettison Nano, this EGX platform is now going to be doing the same thing for the United States Postal Service, right? So you're going to be you, like this U.S. Postal Service deal that NVIDIA recently announced. They're going to be training the models on the V100s, and then they're going to be using this Edge platform to be essentially monitoring the logistics and improving it with AI, right? With these Jettison Nano chips at the Edge. So it's like it's less than a year later and like i mean can you think of a bigger contract at that level if, if they can do that there they can do that manufacturing they can so like you're inside the nvidia ecosystem still you're in like your models trained ports easily pytorch tensorflow whatever on a v100 and right over to you know nvidia jettison nano at the edge that's a huge market and the fact that they're able to win a massive contract there and roll that out. That's a big proof of concept for them where essentially anyone in logistics, manufacturing, et cetera, going to look at that. You're like, okay, well, I mean, NVIDIA is now in this IOT edge market, right? At the inference level where like, if I was to look at FPGAs, which had have their limitations, the fact that NVIDIA has been able to come into that quickly with you know, let's call it six months and actually have something that's uh, platform wise and product wise to sell. 
that's very bullish, you know? And that's one of those things where where when you're when you're investing, you look at it and you say, look, I was using this use case from Microsoft as an argument, uh, as evidence in an argument in support of at the time of a short thesis. And you're like, well, they've, they've kind of, uh, you know, kneecapped that with this United States Postal Service contract. And just w- walk me through uh, th- their, what they're actually providing to the United Postal Service. Is it the specific chips so that they can then put on their own tools or are they providing hardware? I'm, I'm, it's not I mean, connecting it's, for me it, how that, what exactly it's both. Doing. What are you talking about? So you're, you're basically looking at, you're, you're looking at the fact that you're going to be buying, you know, data center level hardware, like V100s to train. And then you have this new EGX platform, which at the core is a Jettison Nano, which is a chip. Okay. Which will be, I mean, I'm, I'm guessing if you're doing this, it's going to be powering whatever image detection camera sensors are being deployed in these uh, distribution facilities for the United States Postal Service. So it's two parts, right? It's, it's hardware, but it's, it's also the, the, the system level, you know, platform that they built around it. Do you, do, you, do you follow me? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm get, so it's it's both the the tools, but then also the whole yeah, ecosystem so you, around if, it. If we were to look back at the the counter example of Microsoft and Jable Circuit, Microsoft Jable Circuit would be training their their model on NVIDIA V100 GPUs, and then they were using Intel Altera FPGAs. In, in the facilities because you need tons of these units for doing quality assurance. So, and the argument then, they would come out and tell you, I mean, Jable Circuit did come out, their CEO or CTO or whoever, when, 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 when Microsoft was, you know, touting this as an example of, you know, uh, Azure innovation and, and what they're doing with Brainwave, they're like, look, GPUs are too expensive to deploy at this level. And here you go, Jettison Nano, problem solved. It's like the Edge TPU, essentially, right? But it's merchant-level silicon. I think these things are, are, are $99. Teeny little chips, I think, you know, half a trillion uh, operations per second at I don't know how many watts. Very low power consumption, obviously. It has to be power efficient. But, but, but the point is, it's... It's not that hey we're developing this and we're, we're coming into this market and we're, like they've already won business they already have a reference platform right and 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 you have the United States Postal Service deploying it so when you think TAM wise you have to like that and it's the same thing what they're doing in five G the part what they announced with Ericsson right and you look at it and you're like the the, the this general purpose computing on GPUs and just the overall AI stack that NVIDIA has built, you know, use case wise, they've demonstrated a lot in the last six months. I mean, yeah, the revenue needle hasn't really moved much in data center recently. But if you look at it and you're looking forward, you're like, your conviction obviously is going up significantly because you're like, look, they're going to be a huge volume player. This is where things thesis wise get interesting is that you have to look at, you have to look at this business. And if you're, if you're merchant silicon, Right. We already discussed like 
like if you go back to you know when I was working on Nvidia from the long side several years ago, if you look at how they penetrated this AI market, I mean, like they could go in, hand out new chips, and essentially let the developers play around with them. Okay, if you're a chip startup trying to make a really expensive, you know, game changing accelerator, you can't do that. Okay, it's too expensive. You need to win a high volume contract. And where are those high volume contracts going to come from? You're dependent on winning those contracts with whom? With hyperscale companies. Because if you look at NVIDIA's business, NVIDIA's business, the chip development cycle for GPU general purpose computing is supported by what? Supported by gaming, right? And it's supported by professional visualization. They have huge markets where the R&D is essentially spread out across, right? And anybody trying to compete with them doesn't have that. I mean, that was always a focus in the, in the like, you, you would look at them and be like, look, they can subsidize this business. And that's something where today, when you look at them where they're at, and you think several years forward, and you say, look, yeah, Google's got, you know, you know, on their TPU version three, TPU version four, you've got uh, these other startups uh, uh, coming out with chips, and you've got other hyperscalers developing. But you have to ask a question at this point, and that question is sustainability. Because if you're going to compete with a company that's specializing in chip development and is literally on like, you know, an 18-month refresh cycle, right? And the the core underlying technology is supported by at the time, professional visualization, gaming, maybe a little bit in auto and what they're doing in data center. And the use cases for them are expanding, right? How do you compete with them? It's very difficult because you have to pick a market when you're starting, when you're starting up. You got to pick a market and focus on it. And for most of these guys, are, they, they focus on trying to get some business in the data center. Some are focused on, let's say, we're trying to develop something purely for, you know, IoT edge, maybe auto. But like you've got this company that has revenue and profits coming from at a large scale as a fabulous semi from multiple end markets. And they like if you've seen what they've been doing lately, so much of the performance improvement that they're getting is coming from software. So like like we haven't really seen anything interesting come out of NVIDIA chip wise as an announcement recently. I mean, there's talk now of, of the not this coming chip, but then because that one's already done and it's been done for like eight months, so we can get into that whole element of competing with them. Like they've had so little competition that they haven't really been forced to release things very quickly, right? So it's, it's like one of these examples where you know you think of like a Gillette and imagine like at what at what point was the Mach three developed and when did they decide to bring it on the market? Because they just they have layers of layers of layers of milking revenue, right? Nvidia has had literally no competition in in the GPU gaming market because of all the problems AMD's had to the point where, you know, Pascal probably went a year and a half longer than it probably should have before they released Turing. And now Turing's out on the market and you got all these like AMD guys, you know, oh, AMD may be taking share, AMD is making progress. And it's like uh, NVIDIA's chip after Turing has been done for maybe a year, at least six months for sure, right? So it's just a question of, of when do they want to bring it to market and and 
they're already on the chip after that. And you're talking about like, you're, you're trying to keep up with a development cycle like that. That's very challenging, you know, because you don't have money coming in the door, right? That's the problem of merchant silicon faces against them. And then when you look at it from in-house hyperscale, you know, it's not a question of do they have the resources financially to do it. We know they do. They're all gigantic, you know, trillion dollar companies essentially at this point. But it's a question of can you do it at the cutting edge level that they're capable of doing because they're so focused on it and they're moving so fast, right? And then it's just about whether it's it, it makes sense to like if the pricing has come down and and what they're getting what the what the merchant provider is giving you is better then why support in in an in-house project right you'll look at it and be like you know what like we can't make better chips than them at the rate that they're doing with the resources that we've allocated to it i mean we've made this progress so far like are we going to be a chip company or do we just want to buy from them so there's a sustainability question to look at and, and it's something you can ask about anybody i mean like tesla makes sense right now developing their own accelerator but if you think about the market you know five five years from now ten years from now you know in all likelihood you, this is something that you're going to be buying from a from a chip company because the ability for them to iterate and develop and and focus on the r d there and spread out the costs over huge industry volumes you know is tough to replicate Right, that that sort of s- subsidy that comes from being able to serve multiple markets is really interesting. I've got in front of me the, your article called you titled "Chipwrecked Inside Nvidia's Crash from Last Year," and I feel you had six points at the end, and I think you've 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 addressed the data center concern. You said it was going to see more pressure. You've kind of, we've I think we've played that through pretty good. You also, or this one's simpler to look at there one point was valuation essentially it's trading at more than two times Intel. okay so let's go let's let's get into that that because that's an i think one of the main drivers for me going long whatever it was a month a month a month and a half ago or whatever a uh, month ago or so but with 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 greater conviction because i mean at nvidia over the last say when NVIDIA was $290, so I think it peaked essentially October 1, 2018. Since then, let's back up to like, you know, right before reported earnings recently, you know, for investors who are kind of focused on, on, on how to think about this thing going forward. NVIDIA was down 30% over 12 months, call it 12, 12 and a half months. I've been trading chips for almost 20 years. If you look at the top and I, I plotted this out. You know, I got a nice little table of it. I shared it with the, our subscribers, and I've shared it with with friends because, like, when even when I did it, I was amazed. Right in that time period, take the top, you know, twenty semiconductor companies by market cap. Could you guess what their return is over that same time period? And I'm talking about essentially before the market crashed in 2018. Literally, right at that time, Nvidia peaked. About two hundred ninety-two dollars ninety-one October one twenty eighteen, and all chip stocks. I mean, there were some that were not doing as well, but generally speaking, you know, the stocks it hadn't fallen off a cliff yet either. So, 
NVIDIA is down 30%, 35% since then. And what do you think You know, the top 20 chip companies by market cap mean return is over that time period? I guess it's pretty close to flat based on... No, they're up 30%. Up 30 okay. I okay. saw Intel which and is, AMD is, were up, but I didn't. Which is huge. I'm not talking. I'm talking Intel, AMD, Broadcom, KLAC, Lam Research, Taiwan Semiconductor, ADI, uh, NXP. Like go, you name it, Qualcomm, any big chip company, not just Intel, AMD. Okay, so chip valuations have massively expanded. You very rarely, and by the way, this is against weak fundamentals for the most part in the industry. And I'm like, we're talking about Cyrus, Skyworks, Cuervo, you know, across the board. So when you look at it, the SOX is actually up about 28% while NVIDIA is down 30. The top 20, essentially the only relevant chip companies as far as I'm concerned, okay, are up a mean of about 30%. And NVIDIA is down 35%. Now remember, NVIDIA was up like... I mean, you know, over a thousand. It was a huge relative out, out, outperformer the previous two years, right? Which was a, a, a big reason for looking at it from the short side at, at where it was trading, right? And that's when, you know, valuations can get ahead of themselves and it's certain elements common. Obviously, the crypto catalyst and, and the competition AI and, and, and so on and so forth and, and the slowdown in, in hyperscale spending. Uh, 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 all were were nice little things to pick up on and coincide with uh, when you're picking a short. But I mean, it was a huge outperformer. It's now been a massive underperformer. And when you look at it and you look at the business, I mean, you're talking about when I was looking at it and just doing the math in my head, you know, a, a month ago. I'm like, you know, it's like a it's like a hundred billion EV. They're like essentially on a 4 billion free cash flow run rate about, right? That's a 4% yield. This company carries like a billion and a half in debt, right? It's un- it's under geared. Most chip companies are very geared. So you look at it and you look at where valuations have gone and you're like, you know what? It's cheap. Now people be like, oh, I mean, how can you say NVIDIA is cheap at a sales multiple? It's like, well, remember, NVIDIA is super, very profitable, like I, I don't think people like when I see these bearish notes on it. It's just like lately, for all, like on Seeking Alpha articles. I mean, it's like there is a shell shock element to when it fell that people are like, eh, you know, it went to one thirty. Well, I mean, all ch- Apple was one hundred and thirty five, forty dollars. Okay, it's doubled almost essentially, right? There's a, there was a lot of reflate that's gone on in tech back and forth, you know, between the end of two thousand eighteen. But when you look at Nvidia. NVIDIA's revenues year to date are down about, I think, uh, 18%, okay, year over year. Operating cash flow is up 16%. So a lot of people don't pay much attention to this, but I mean, NVIDIA has generated year to date $3.3 billion in operating cash flow, okay? Uh, Last quarter, they generated $1.5 billion in free cash flow, okay? AMD year to date, has 50 million in operating cash flow. 50 million. Okay. AMD's what, 46 billion? And you're looking at NVIDIA and you're like, I mean, you know, EV of about like 110, right? NVIDIA is a cash cow. And remember, they're not buying back stock either because they're still waiting on this Mellanox deal approval, right? Uh, you could stick $10 billion of debt on this thing, no problem. Okay. W- with the level of cash generation they have. So, 
I have to start looking at NVIDIA and be like, okay, no one's going to displace them in data center anytime in the next 24 months. What type of cash generation is this thing going to throw off? It's going to throw off a lot. Okay. And when I start looking at that compared to other chip companies, I'm like, this is, I mean, this thing doesn't have to grow the top line that much at all. And I'm comfortable at this level. Okay. I look at it, I'm like, you know, I mean, it's, uh, we're 4 billion. We like, I can model this out to get to 8 billion, you know, over five years. And it's fabulous. Uh, So almost, all all your operating cash flow is flowing to the bottom line. You know, it's like a well-oiled machine at that level. So you're looking at cash cash generation of you. You know, you can model maybe upwards of twenty five billion over the next five years, and like that's with you know high single digit you know revenue growth. You're not talking about the eye popping stuff. So. When you compare it to other chip companies, it's like I'm, I'm getting this like decent free cash flow yield here, and I could also be getting significant end market and top line growth, which could make this an extremely undervalued chip asset. In the context, in the context of where it's been, right? You're just like you're like that's how you have to view a company like this with its margin profile because. If you do not have a view that someone is going to come in and, and, and knock them over the head immediately, then you're like, the moat just gets bigger. It becomes even harder to compete with them. And then like, if you're a startup competitor, your best bet is to selling to another big chip company who has the end markets and resources to try to, to take them on or sell to them. And that's when you look at it and you're like, until the stock hits $250 a share, I mean, it's very appealing. And I mean, you also look at it and you're like, if we're looking out a year from now, maybe even let's call it Q1, Q2 of next year, the data center business may double. I mean, that's like the type of dynamic you're facing here. If the their positioning holds the way it seems to, and actually not even holds, expands. So where I think there are more interesting things on NVIDIA to ask questions is around the gaming business. Well, it's, a harder, it's a harder business to really assess in the short term. Right. So just a couple of things just from pulling up the data. The free cash flow actually went up last year, even though they had each quarter year over year was down revenue wise. So that is... Pretty impressive. So yeah, so you you you're, you had six points, right? You had data center was one, valuation was one, crypto was the first point. That doesn't seem super interesting to me. It seems like that you like you said they lapped their worst crypto quarters. It's probably now in the past. I I don't really know what's going on there, but it seems Look, like I'll tell you that's, that's not a very a interesting headwind. thing because that I think that has wreaked havoc on people who like whether you want to call them got lucky shorting it or maybe it had some appeal on it or just thought it was like a high valuation stock and and it came down. Uh, crypto has wreaked havoc on the gaming element in the sense that they really haven't normalized since it, right? So when you bet on an inventory correction, okay, the channel fills up, orders fall off a cliff, right? And then you got to work through that inventory, right? Because you had this you know, use case that came out of nowhere, 
that stoked that provided so much demand and that people had people missed didn't understand management maybe you know either was opaque or overly optimistic or whatever you want to call it or 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 outright just foolish in terms of how they approached it and how they communicated to the market and the analysts were complacent okay but once an inventory correction happens it's still a correction right it's you you still have those end markets their position in gaming hasn't weakened okay so it's like i'm not you know i'm a gamer and it's, it's i'm not out there being like all right you know I, 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 let's see what amd's got coming uh, gpu wise so I, I can get off in video right now all right i mean and if you talk to the younger generation i mean it's like like oh i just got a new notebook with a 2080 ti in it it's freaking amazing and blah blah blah, blah. so I've got ray tracing and this, this and that. And I mean, and, and so far, ray tracing still hasn't lived up to the hype, right? I mean, we can call them that, that they, they, they launched that early, but it's, it's picking up. You know, the games are getting there. The progress is being made. But when you look at that element of crypto, what it has done is it's gotten people to look at the gaming business recently and be like, it's ha- it has issues, Right. And they're like, oh, gaming is going to be. They guided for gaming to be down seasonally in Q4, and 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 usually seasonality is this, and so you know they like the they still have problems. That's that's retarded. Okay, I mean I can't think of any other way to put it because this hasn't normalized, right? You have a snapback. Like once you have an inventory correction, you're going to have also the flip side. You're going to have a, an over snapback, right? Because you go through a period where nobody ordered anything, and then the channel clears, and you're going to have a pickup, right? And then you're going to have a little bit of a hangover off of that snapback, and then things you, – you find middle ground, right? So like getting to that point, for example, if you look at NVIDIA when they reported in Q2 as you know, up notably sequentially, but it was all Nintendo Switch. Gaming GPU was up like sequentially 1% in q2 from q1 okay and q1 was ridiculously depressed and there were some elements with with cpu shortages due to intel and the timing of deliveries on on the notebook end and like the notebook business is growing significantly and it's it's got different inventory dynamics and that's also been like it's benefited their cash flow and 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 whatnot recently but q3 has had a big snapback You, you like you went from i think they did 13 1.375 billion in gaming gpu you know that's essentially what they were they did in in, in a quarter year ago in crypto right that's a big quarter okay so for them to guide sequentially that gaming is going to be down in q4 it's not surprising because notebooks a bigger part of the mix and also you 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 had a q2 that was weaker than it should have been like I look at it, I'm like, you you have to look at this. You got to sum these quarters, right? Like, you got to look at Q2, Q3, Q4. The Q2 print to me was worse than I expected. I thought that we'd see an, a more a, a more rapid improvement on the GPU business. Instead, what we got was a huge build uh, benefit on Nintendo Switch launching Lite on the console business, which is in gaming. You, you and th- there's also been dynamic changes there, by the way. Like you had Q4 and Q1, you had like almost no revenue from Nintendo. 
Because if you remember, and this was actually like an added, you know, cherry on top on the short thesis. When I w- w- when Nvidia reported uh, Q3 in 2018, okay, you already had Nintendo's numbers on Switch through the beginning of the holiday season, and they were light. They were 18% to their annual shipment unit target. Okay, if you look at Nintendo when they reported this year, they're almost 30% to their annual unit target. So everybody last year, after Nintendo's numbers came out October 30th, is like, these Nintendo numbers are weak, which doesn't put, they're not going to hit this 20 million unit. It's pretty fucking obvious, right? And you're like, okay, this is another reason to short NVIDIA here because it's almost a billion dollar revenues (laughs) that's coming out of Nintendo. So if you look at this year, you have, you had two, like 260, 265 in Q2. And you have 285 from Nintendo and Q3. So the ordering patterns for that also hasn't been normal, right? They've changed their ordering patterns. So I, I, I have a Q3 where for me, when I modeled it, the switch number was like 75, 80 million higher in aggregate between the GPU gaming business and the GPU, uh, uh, sorry, between the GPU gaming business and, and, and the, the console business of Integra. There was about 150, or let's call it 100 to 150 million more in revenue in Q3 than I thought they were going to do, right? And then if you look at the guidance for Q4, which people were like, "Oh, it's seasonally soft," uh, you know, this is doesn't portend well. Like some guys have argued on Seeking Alpha that AMD is taking market share, and I'm like, that's just ridiculous. <laughs> okay, I mean, there's literally that is not what's going on in the gaming business whatsoever. Uh, they the the timing of the switch and the way the notebook dynamics work and the fact that you had a huge snapback in Q3 makes Q4 not normal seasonally and this has to do with this inventory correction and these dynamics you look at it and you're like Q4 is this but Q Q1 now doesn't if you were to look further out isn't going to follow the same normal seasonality that Q1 has followed from Q4 pre crypto Pre the switch dynamics, right? So, I, 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 I say when you look at the gaming business, figuring out what normal is in it, it is still an ongoing exercise, right? Like it's you're 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 still dealing with. I wouldn't call it a hangover. I would call it like post effects of an inventory correction of the magnitude that occurred. We haven't hit norm. We haven't hit full normalization. Like we've swung, we've swung a little bit back on the on the higher side. We're going to dip a little bit more, and then it's that's going to it's going to be better than Q1. So like, we we really we really don't know exactly where that where that business is completely settling. Obviously, it's settling way higher than where it was the, uh, Q1 and Q2. But the end market dynamics there, like I don't think Nvidia's provided enough in terms of what's going on in gaming, because the desktop market obviously has been shrinking. As far as like, let's call it, you know, performance gaming. Uh, what like, how does notebook work? You know, I like, is the notebook market a console competitor? Like, is this something that you know is a threat to Xbox and and uh, Sony going forward? If people are doing a lot more notebook gaming, like, how does the mix change? I mean, notebook's been growing, and now it seems like it, it's 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 starting to really really ramp up on the high end notebooks. And then, like, what's the size of this? What is AI in your gaming business? 
it's the, these are things that are that that are hard to quantify. I mean, we had there was also concerns about streaming. Like, I don't know if you followed what's happened with Google Stadia. If you if you tried it, like I tried to play around with it. I mean, like you know, like what a disaster. Well, it's because that's one of the the point you made in your article again. Just the summary point was gaming space in general has issues which are looking more structural. And so right now, I think you've talked about the correction and the normalization and how NVIDIA is, how that sort of evens out or will eventually even out. But that there's still, I guess, to me, it sounds like there's still that open question. You feel comfortable 100%. with the gaming space? I feel comfortable that their gaming business is not threatened by competition, okay? What I don't understand about the gaming business, and I haven't seen anyone who, by the way, has conveyed this clearly in any shape or form, is how it's evolving, okay? Like, what, like how important is Notebook? Notebook could actually be a major killer in the space if it really takes off, right? If Notebook PC gaming is huge. And I mean, you got to look at this type, these types of dynamic. They've had bad blood there that goes back to 2009. I mean, like, you know, AMD's been getting that business, the significant professional graphics that, that, that's tied to Apple that people have always been petitioning. Like, in, NVIDIA is still, as far as technology-wise, on, 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 on the gaming hardware, the leader, okay, without question. And they've had a huge advantage there. And AMD, despite you know, their arguments, uh, or let's say the arguments of people who've been long the stock, you know, it doesn't add up. If you look at AMD's numbers on the graphics and uh, they don't break it out and people t- seem to n- never have a clue on, on what it's like and the market share data I've seen on it is, is very unreliable and, and often just outright wrong if you, if you deconstruct it properly. But I mean, AMD has been really much more focused on the CPU side of things and supporting certain business almost at an, like we call it an OEM level, right? I mean, like they have an Apple relationship exclusively. They deployed Google Stadia. Like that's for them been what like data center GPU is for them, right? And I mean, I, they haven't broken that out, but I'm, I'm going to assume that's hundreds of thousands of GPUs over the last 12 months on a rollout for a service. And so, you know, that's got to be maybe a hundred million, you know, in revenue, uh, possibly that just came from Google, right? I mean, it's again, it's not like like AMD keeps playing this kind of second source player, right? And they're also going to be behind the console launches at the end of the year for Microsoft and uh, and Sony. So, technologically speaking, uh, no one's choosing AMD over Nvidia. They're choosing AMD because they've been far cheaper and nvidia by being in the position they've been in uh has chosen for the large part to avoid dealing with that type of margin profile business on the console end and and let's say whatever terms apple is getting buying amd gpus for their you know notebook desktop business when you look at them from a gaming standpoint i'm not i'm not concerned about them competitively at all i'm more i'm more questioning the development of the gaming market at a hardware level right i don't really know how that's evolving and i don't think i i think is it you know is this a single digit growing market mid single digits 
Is there a period coming up now because of notebooks where it grows faster? Uh, what's the ASP mix change? How does it work? Like, I think that like we have two console launches coming this year, right? Uh, and Switch has been operating in an environment with no console competition. Okay, so what's what what's the Nintendo Switch business look like next year? I mean, remember this is this is a billion dollar revenue business for for Nvidia. Uh, does that get cut in half? You know, like, like there's questions around gaming that I wouldn't call them competitively concerning. But if you were to like drill down into the numbers and you're trying to model out NVIDIA overall over the next like, you know, two years, it's it, it, it's hard to ascertain right now. Is that fair enough? Do you, I mean, yeah, that me? makes sense. That so like I, I like I, I like they, they, they haven't given you enough for you to really be able to look at it and be like, what am I going to expect out of the notebook market? What's, what should I expect out of desktop market? And like, what should I expect out of this Nintendo console business? Or are you planning on, uh, on, on adding console business? Is there something you're working on here? Or, you know, is this not a major focus? Is it going to trail off to these levels? Like, we don't really know much about that. And there's reasons to ask those questions, right? When we had this Google Stadia, obviously, initially, it doesn't look very good. And I mean, these are things AMD people should focus on too, right? I mean, when they look at what AMD talks about when they talk about the GPU business, you're like, well, you know, you've got some one-offs that really helped you out in in 2019. And even against those one-offs, which NVIDIA really didn't have, you... GPU business didn't do that well. I mean, it's still shrunk. So, like, how are you going to be faring, you know, against NVIDIA refreshes at 7 nanometer and new chip launches probably by by by, by the fall of at the latest uh, of, of, of next year? I, I think these are these are questions that where you look at the gaming business and you're just like, I'm not as long as I'm not concerned about it competitively. It's not, it's not the biggest issue, but I don't really know how to quantify it trajectory-wise over, let's say, the next two years. Well, you had a, you had you definitely had a cycle where the gaming business, for let's call it what was, you know, from 2000, you know, 14 to 18, was growing very rapidly. And that's one. And that's one where you're like, how, how am I? How 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 are they thinking about this? And this is something I maybe they will address more at their next analyst day. But there are questions there. It, it's 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 one where you're you're just like, I don't. I really don't know how to model this thing. I mean, it, it's not hard to figure out baseline demand, right? That's like something more related to the PC market in general. We have an idea of that. We know they have benefits on the fact that like. You've got people buying their gaming cards for AI machine learning. I mean, that's essentially a merchant silicon market for end users who are, you know, developers or aspiring developers or students, uh, uh, researchers, etc. So that's not a problem to assess. But what we don't understand is where is gaming going, right? Is gaming going to notebooks? Is gaming still going to have consoles? Is gaming 
is streaming going? I mean, so far, based on Google Stadia, no. But is streaming going to be more of a mix in the near future? I mean, will 5G solve that problem? There are question marks there. I think I think that's important. I mean, I, there's also upside scenarios for them there because they are leading, and it's like, you know, what's the Apple Notebook market? Twenty million units plus, you know, a year, and like they just brought like if they, if they win that business at some point. I mean, although there's no reason to think that they're going to get it now, but I mean, how long can Apple keep them out when they have the better product? I mean, right now, if Notebook PC gaming takes off, and one of the major limitations is I can't get NVIDIA's notebook GPUs because Apple doesn't support it. Well, you know, at some point, maybe they have to think about changing that because now you got people like, I mean, if you talk to them, they're like, ah, they're, they're choosing the notebooks based on the graphics card in it, right? And in, in the same enthusiast level. So like, you're completely left out of that market if you're not supporting if you're not supporting their their hardware, so yeah, I, I I do think I mean like for me when I looked at this this quarter, I mean like nothing is surprising me about what's going on in gaming. It's just like people who got a little bit like worked up over I mean the stock you know it it, it didn't really pop on earnings, and then it fell initially, and you had some quick notes immediately out that you know the Nvidia seasonality for Q4 as, as a reason for their guidance uh, is not really seasonality. They, there's more issues in gaming. That's just like, that's baloney, right? If you look at where NVIDIA guided for, for Q4, it was 2.95 billion, right? And the street was, I think, at 3.07 for Q4. And they attributed, you know, gaming salt, but like there's the uh, notebook and, uh, and console sequential declines as where the part moves that needle. But if you go back to Q2, when NVIDIA reported Q2, consensus for Q4 going into Q2 was what, Daniel? 3.4 billion, okay? So like the sell side has had no clue on, on how to model this thing lately because it, like, it hasn't been a normal cycle, right? So like... It, it, like I said before, you have to look at Q2 plus Q3 plus Q4, and then you're also going to have to look into Q1, right? Because like, what, like Q2 was way too soft. Q3 uh, has made that up significantly more. Uh, Q4 has a dynamic that Q3 had these benefits. Q1 is not going to follow the normal seasonality that, that was the case before. So like, it, it's an aggregate when you look at the gaming. It's just been something that 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 you know, when you have an inventory correction this big, is very is very difficult to step back and say, well, this makes sense, and I mean, it does make sense. So when I look at that, when in contrast to what they were saying, let's say, you know, two years ago, when they were attributing the growth in gaming to just gaming and and, and none of it having related to crypto, I don't think that this is something where you look at it now and you say uh, there's some sort of structural problem. There's, there's like like the, the notebook business had to be up huge in Q3 year over year, right? So when you consider it, consider that the business is healthy, right? It's just, it's just the end market dynamics of the broader PC gaming market and the console gaming market that 
are are harder to quantify. And like these things have changed, right? You had end end of life for two consoles. You got new console launches coming. You got a Switch Lite uh, uh, launch that just happened. I mean, it's just it's it, it's it's varying dynamics, which it's I think have made it easy for people to focus on the details. But it's like, look, when the sell side had three point four billion in Q two, I was like, this is ridiculous. Like, uh, you, uh, you know, there's going to be some drop off in console just by the way Nintendo works, and, and that's notable. Data center is not going to grow sixty percent sequentially. I mean, it's like uh, unless there's a chip launch we're not aware of yet. Right and data center, like it wasn't hard to look at those numbers. Then they come down to two point to the three point zero eight, and these guys got to two point nine five. But they beat the Q the the Q three by one hundred and forty million. If you add that back in, then it's like a wash. When you're focusing on this quarterly noise, there, I just look at it. I'm like, all right, data center grew eleven percent. Like they they won this contract. They shipped record units, so ASPs were down. They haven't refreshed Volta. They're entering a new product cycle. They're going to get better ASPs in that. Intel's numbers in data center where platform units were down, ASPs were up. That's not going to be very sustainable for Intel, and we know the dynamics going on there. So, uh, you know, put it all together. Why would I want to be short Nvidia into 2020? Like, they're going to be they're going to be getting more business at the edge. Their volumes and inference are, are growing. You're going to have, I mean, at least by the midpoint of the year, a refresh at seven nanometer, you know, in data center. So, like, it's a goalpost that keeps moving. You have performance benchmarks that people are comparing against it to NVIDIA of chips that are now, what, two years old? A little over, at least uh, on on the V100. And, like, NVIDIA keeps improving the libraries and the software side, and they've been still able to lead in performance against new chips that have been launched across, you know, most use cases. So, I mean, there's there's some areas where you have notable outperformance by new chip designs, but like, it's like okay, but that's against a chip that's two years old. What's sitting waiting to be released? I want to go quickly to to the two other points you made because I think I think you've kind of you kind of summed up the the case right now. But I, there are two funny left or interesting to me leftovers from your article that I think worth hitting. One is your last point in that article was Nvidia may have to respond to all these pressures with an expensive acquisition. And then in March of this year, they announced that they were buying Mellanox. And Mellanox, I think, is just a funny name to pop up because probably one of the first articles of yours I ever read shortly after I started working as an editor was you were one of a few people who shorted Mellanox. And that for anybody with any efficient market theorist or anybody else who's just looking for a, an anomaly of the last decade, Mellanox is trading right now at 115 a share about Nvidia has offered to buy them for 125 and it's through the review process it peaked yeah, in 2012 at 118 at it looks yeah so it's yeah, I just shorted, I shorted it the 2 days before it's peaked and then what it fell 50% in like a jiffy look Mellanox at the time okay go back to infiniband networking 
it was the when Mellanox exploded from like 60 to 120 in like a quarter and a half, there had been like a delayed upgrade cycle related to Intel CPUs. I think it was Romley at the time. Uh, but like you, you essentially had a, you had like a massive refresh in in supercomputing, and it coincided with I don't even remember what speed it was, but like InfiniBand launch, and they got like huge revenue for two quarters, and then it fell off a cliff. I mean, which is the way HPC works, right? So, and what does this mean? Does is this at all relevant to your Nvidia? Is this? I mean, does it matter now? I just I thought that was funny given that echo, but given where we are now, does this? Matter I mean, I had speculated that they would buy Mellanox. I mean, look, AI is a system problem. I mean, the Nvidia is. If you look at the business, I mean, it's they're a high performance computing supplier these days, right? Because when you look at you look, you know, like seismic analysis and weather analysis and all this, this is, you know, double precision math, right? So like if you look, want to look at the differences between the T4 and the V100, you know, on single precision or mixed precision, dollar value is obviously much better for the T4 at the performance you're getting. And obviously it gets even better when you get into the gaming cards for, 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 for that. But no one's providing the, the double precision that you're getting out of the V100. Right. And I mean, when you look at the HPC market, the, I mean, there's elements of both AI now and, and, and the typical, you know, high performance computing. Uh, the networking has become very important. And it's really like, it's, you have custom interconnects, you've got Intel Omnipath, and, you know, the, the market share leader is Mellanox. Right. So NVIDIA is essentially buying themselves into this this market there and Mellanox on, on an ethernet level also has been has been doing really well so it's it's without question a nice fit for nvidia and it's synergistic for their business and uh it'll put them in a much better competitive position as far as you know what they can provide with you know uh, Mellanox nix and their uh gpus uh and I'm sure when the deal closes, the stock pops on that news. If the deal doesn't close, uh, you know, I think like, you know, you're still using those interconnects with NVIDIA GPUs. If someone wants to block that deal, but I think it's, it's better than buying back stock. I mean, they do, they, they do generate so much cash. Like if you look at it, it is definitely, it's definitely a good fit, and I, I, I definitely see why they felt they needed to do it, because they probably do feel with where we're at in Moore's Law and what's going on. Like, I mean, it, look, th- this goes back to the issues in AI, right? Like, one of one of the 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 most obvious problems in the space is that it's a system level problem, right? Like accelerators essentially are, are 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 offload processors. So, like the CPU has still played a role. Like it, it's it. If you have low latency requirements, you know it's something that goes to the CPU level. If it's compute driven, you know it's going to the accelerator, whether that's a GPU or you know a TPU in Google's case, or or or, or whatever. Uh, uh, it's being like Cerebras, Graphcore, or whatever merchant Silicon is is trying to get in there uh, from AI 
accelerator chart, uh, startup focus. But at the system level, networking is a big part. I mean, like if you've seen NVIDIA recently announced, I don't know, it was in August or, or September, how they're accelerating uh, getting around the CPU with uh, GPU direct storage, right? Because you have the bandwidth limitations and uh, they're, they're working on, they're providing, you know, software technology to essentially do GPU direct storage. Uh, if you consider where the system level element, like for a company that's done so much focus on software, it's got the hardware, you know, the networking is the final piece, right? And I think for them, that's the way they looked at it. They're like, you know, this is strategically, uh, this cements us as a dominant player. And I don't know how you block the deal, but it's going to put them in a very good position because, I mean, Mellanox is by far, I mean, they just came out with HDR, InfiniBand. Like, they're definitely, no doubt about it, the leader in the space. And uh, uh, it's going to put NVIDIA in a position to have both the best networking, obviously the widest software ecosystem stack for artificial intelligence, high-performance computing, etc., and, you know, the leading hardware still. So I think the Mellanox deal, like, I mean, financially, I don't think it's a big needle mover. But I think when you think about it strategically and, and you look at NVIDIA by far, in a way, the undisputed leader on the software side, which, I mean, there was a really good article in the next platform about, like, maybe it was a, a month, month and a half ago. Where they really they, they got into these AI chip startups and being like, look, they they have a software problem, right? Like just build, get coming up with a piece of hardware and then like having people test it for a year and whatever, like is is it is not in the in the DNA of the people who are developing these chips to address the element of AI which revolves around the software stack. And that's proven to be a much bigger challenge. So, I mean, when you go back at this and you look at it, and like this is something in HPC that, you know, if you look at supercomputing, uh, they've evolved and addressed over time as they've adopted uh, general purpose GPGPU. So, yeah, no, I, I think the the competitive position. I think the the way that the data center markets played out and then like you said they're gaming leader like i think that i think their position's clear i understand the i, I want to ask one last point here which is your, your last your other point in your chipwrecked conclusion was management's credibility is severely damaged and sell side has been humiliated here let's ignore the sell side that's that's not really relevant to the company management's credibility. So, what what makes you comfortable about management after all this? You you the the picture you painted was that they totally either oversold that crypto wasn't a big deal, or they totally missed it. Which either way isn't very exciting. So, why why does that not bother you? So, look, I mean, Jensen Wong. I mean, when we discussed this when we we did the podcast on this, I mean, Nvidia is like his child. It can do no wrong. Okay. I mean, he's a founder. I mean, if you've watched him present and and talk about it, like it's his baby, right? At, at the same time, I I don't think these guys like 
even the best CEOs can can predict the future. Okay, because if he could have, he would have tried to take Nvidia private at a seven billion dollar EV in two thousand fifteen. Okay, I mean it's would have been a no brainer for him. So, I uh, I think there was an element of the complacency for them uh, just because they've just done so well for so long right and they've they've used to been driving asps higher they've they've been used to dictating what they want out of the ad and board partners because you need their business if you're in the gaming market right like they pretty much dominate it the gamers want their cards and whenever they have a chip launch there's you know scarce allocations to start and you want to be at the top of the line because that's how you make money if you're one one of the uh, AIBs. I think NVIDIA understood that there were dynamics in gaming that were heavily influenced by crypto. Personally, I think they thought they could get through it with the transition to Turing from gamer demand. Okay? And what I think they they really missed was the ASP impact and the fact that the appetite for uh, let's call it secondhand cards and, and and sunsetting Pascal at really cheap prices after crypto blew up was going to satisfy a significant amount of that demand, and that's something that they wouldn't be partaking in and that Turing at the price points they were coming out with were not going to be gobbled up, right? And I think that's what they missed. I think they, 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 I mean, look, we had evidence clear in May and June of 2018 that there were channel problems in gaming. Okay. I mean, you had, you had reports of AIBs returning some inventory, uh, tiffs with, with NVIDIA. You had AMD and N- NVIDIA take take pricing up uh, right after crypto issues in May, right, uh, on, on, uh, on their chips. And I think you, you had this dynamic where PUBG and uh, Fortnite were like the reason, you know, our revenues grew 55% in gaming and whenever he did in Q1 of, uh, of uh, 2018. I mean, I think so. Uh, I, I, it's hard to to argue that it wasn't. But like again, like his company can do no wrong. Uh, like he's always excited about it. He's always super positive. It's just that's it, part of the nature of 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 a founder CEO. And I think you know he he believes what he's saying at at the time. Now I do think that they experienced. I think they pressured the channel to take supply because they were convinced Turing demand from gamers who had been shut out during the crypto bubble was going to be gangbuster. They just thought ray tracing that we'll sell, we'll we'll sell this whole last line of Pascal cards and who cares because ray tracing is going to be so big that you're going to get people who may buy these cards and then be like, damn, I mean, I need to I need to buy also a ray tracing card, right? Like it was a double dip dynamic, and maybe they got greedy. But I mean, they've been like if you look at the historically how how their launches have fared, 
And if you consider their view on how, how game-changing they view ray tracing, you can maybe understand why they would have thought it would be so strong, right? But by doing that, they blew up the channel. I mean, there's no questions about that. I mean, this is something that w- w- was was an NVIDIA-created problem. But if you look at outside of that element, the counter-argument is they milked they milked the channel. <laughs> they did really well in crypto, right? So, I mean, you you had outsized profitability that they they really did benefit off of for for several quarters, and you know, it, you know, a boom to bust. There, that's just kind of way it it, it it evens out because they did get greedy. So, but at the business level, I think they've been executing like when you think about it from a product standpoint and a competitive dynamic standpoint, and like think about Intel's problems with process. Think about things that you know in the past what we've seen with with AMD. Think about now recently the Google Stadia launch problems. Like, I haven't seen from an execution standpoint an issue with NVIDIA in their underlying markets, right? When I look at the business. So I don't think they've had a problem as far as their ability to bring product to market that is high quality, uh, differentiated, and, uh, you know, uh, demanded by end markets like so i mean like when i think about management's credibility i think they're still running the business fine i don't really know when it comes to them communicating to the market you know i wouldn't say it's a question of trustworthy it's uh you know how reliable they've been you know, I mean, I look at the way the guidance has moved around uh, uh, as far as consensus numbers. Obviously, like the numbers don't go from 3.4 to 3.05 in you know two months without uh, some uh, communication that you need to bring your numbers down, right? So, I think there's an element there that has could be better. I think on disclosures, without question, Daniel, they can be better, right? I mean, but then again, I can say that about AMD as well, okay, which doesn't even break out the the graphic side of the business. But w- when you look at Nvidia, I think it, I think investors would benefit if Nvidia reported data center in the same way Intel does, right? Intel reports data center and they give you platform ASB and platform volume contribution, right? I think if you could track the fact that, and people would have a good idea of of how much volumes went up and and how much ASP pressure actually slowed data center down for the last year, which, you know, in one respect can be viewed negatively when a stock is at a certain level. In another respect can be viewed very positively when you're like, well, this chip is now two years old and it's about to be refreshed. And the mix shift has changed drastically because you got inference chips, which have a far lower ASP becoming a significant portion of the mix. And the fact that they are becoming a significant portion of the mix is an indication that they're making rapid progress in a much bigger volume addressable market, right? The inference market, TAM-wise, is significantly larger than the training market, right? So I think if they, if, if management was to do investors a favor, it would be to, to provide a little bit more visibility on platform volume and platform ASPs in 
data center. I also think automotive is like a black box to people. Like they keep reporting these numbers. They, they, they do provide some commentary and like it just drops sequentially because they had a one-time, you know, development deal in, in Q2. And I think a lot of people there, at least on the sell side, had been anticipating, which they were wrong on without question. And that was a criticism like way too early on auto as far as autonomous. But a little bit more color on what type of expectations, you know, like they have to have some sort of visibility on where auto's going volume and unit wise if they've signed these longer term agreements because the lead times in that are, are significant that like w- when does you know when do i start modeling significantly more automotive revenue uh related to ai so that's another thing that like i i don't think has come out of them yet is that because they don't have that visibility and like they don't really have those you know high volume potentially signed deals in place yet you know versus like in production yet so like what is it and where where are you at so what yeah i, I think on a credibility standpoint you you can interpret what happened two years ago either way i think that I, I think that, like that's weighed a little bit on the stock but i think going forward it's it, it's kind of immaterial but they could do a lot better on disclosures i think that thing i think that's something that's difficult look i mean in one in one respect the they're in a the, the fact that they don't disclose as much allows people like me to do a lot more you know primary work to figure things out which allow you to take views on stocks like this when other people seem confused i think that's you know you can you can view it as uh, from my from my standpoint as uh, <laughs> please don't provide more transparency but then it, like you get to a point where you figured it out you want them to provide more transparency because it benefits the stock, right? So you figure it out before everybody else and then you know let them change it to the point where other people can see what you're kind of seeing and it becomes you know plain vanilla easy. Because I, I think it is important to be able to understand the, the ASP dynamics of, of this business because that's a very important element in looking at this business over the long term because – they, they do have such impressive margins, right? So ha- having a way of at, like kind of – and even in gaming, it would be nice to kind of get an idea of what's going on in units, right? Like, like AMD does comment on their in, in their in their in their SEC filings. They'll say that you know uh, revenue for CNG was down, and the contributing factors were this price-wise and this volume-wise, right? Uh, they don't break it out, but they'll, they, they'll let you know. Like the, like the last quarter, they said that, you know, uh, radon mobile units were down. And that offset, you know, growth on the CPU side. The, I, I do think from, from credibility, they could go a, a, a long way to improving the disclosures to get on par with at least if i mean if 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 we're looking at this business as a competitor slash displacer slash uh at the level of intel data center like they should start reporting the way intel data center does so i, I can understand what's going on inside that data center business more clearly because it's you know uh, there's a, just a general view when when you're opaque 
uh, on something. It's you don't want something to be seen. But if you're going to get on a conference call and say we shipped record units of the T4 and the V100 this quarter, I mean, you do have to understand to anyone with common sense be like, well, your revenues were down six percent year over year, so ASPs dropped uh, what, you know, ten percent, fifteen? Like, what's the mix, right? And how much more does volume have to start growing? To, to get organic revenue growth because I'm, I'm offsetting declining price? Or at what point does a new chip at a much higher ASP lead to a, a, a significant surge in, in data center revenue growth because you've had ASPs trending down for two years? Like These are, th- these are things I think people struggle with. And I, I, I wouldn't call it a credibility issue for them because, I mean, when I think credibility, I think it, it's about their ability to manage the business. I think you just have to view crypto in, in that sense is there a mix of greed over optimism and you know uh, external factors that they couldn't have controlled right and w- when you when you when you look at what Jensen would say at different points about elements of the business I mean you do have to appreciate the fact that I mean he started and built this massively successful company and he's you know, extremely proud. He's extremely excited about what they do all the time. And it's very hard for him to ever come out and be like, yeah, uh, things ain't so good. I mean, he's just, he's extremely optimistic. <laughs> so there's, there's no getting around that. I mean, like in, 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 in his personality, if you were to compare him to like, let's say a Steve Jobs, it's like, you know, I would say, like, you look at a Steve Jobs, for example, he was, you know, uh, he he would do the events and he would do whatever, but he, he was always more uh, calculating and restrained and uh, muted when talking about like elements of the business, the financial elements, the me- the operating metrics and whatnot. He was like he was not he was not just he wouldn't just be constantly uh, ecstatic about what they were doing. Even though they were crushing it, I mean, right? It sounds like, so. It, it sounds like what you're saying is that the you definitely have to watch. You have to apply sort of a lens because of the enthusiasm and the pride that Jensen feels. Jensen Huang feels towards the company, but it's not a matter of their core competence. It's more nor of their, you know, the there was no your your taking away. It just sounds like they were over enthusiastic, not that they were trying to you know mislead or anything. And so you just look at that and you say, okay, if the forces you to do your own work and then you do your own work as we've discussed and if things line up, that's okay. But the concerns are on the I mean look, I will say it's still a good question on where they were at. Uh and I mean you could talk to, you know, some of the people on, on on, on the channel side, uh, I, Nvidia is not clueless. Okay, and, and probably nobody from had more visibility on what was going on than they did in terms of the crypto market because of their sheer size as a GPU provider, uh, market share wise. So I, I think they got greedy, and I think there were elements of like where Jensen was like, you know, new gaming cards will not be out for a long while. When he said in June. You know, Turin launches like two months later. Like, like there was things of like I want to stoke demand in 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 the last cycle of Pascal, right? So there's 
there's an element where I would say there that they, they were greedy and they were misleading and they were overly optimistic. It's a combination of, of, of many things. And I do, and I do have a hard time believing that, you know, I mean, it's not, he's, he's a CEO, you have a CFO, you have what, you know, uh, when you sit on these calls, like to look at when the GPU business was up so huge in, in Q1, uh, or was it when they reported Q4 of, 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 of when they reported in February of 2018 and he attributed it all to, to, uh, Fortnite and PUBG and like the PC market and the desktop market and these things didn't grow that much, right? Like you, when you look at 55% year over year growth and you didn't have a new gaming card launch and like, you're like, come on. But there, but we did see altcoins in this last three months, you know, you know, go from like a hundred Ethereum went from like 300 to 1500. And you had like from November, 2017 through early January of 2018, the most insane speculative, like, you know, tulip mania thing. And, uh, not a single person could find a GPU made by NVIDIA at a retail shop, you know, for the last 60 days, right? Like, how against that backdrop do you come out and say PUBG and, and Fortnite were amazing for us? And, 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 and for someone like me to be like, you're either you're full of it or you're delusional or you're outright lying, right? And you don't want to acknowledge the crypto impact. I mean, there was nothing good that could have come out of that interpretation other than he's just – you have to take – you have you can say like he's generally super optimistic and uh, it, he's – what wasn't – you know, he just assumes that his gaming cards are, are, are selling amazing as, as they've always been selling amazing and doesn't want to be like it's – this was – this performance was due to uh, a recent uh, bubble mania like no other. But I mean, I don't think you can like you can't change the 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 fact that I look at this from 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 the prism of just general investing. Like you you do not just blindly ever trust a management team, no matter how good and successful they've been, right? And they do deserve to be called out and criticized for these things. Like you can't be like, oh, do, what do you know that Jensen doesn't know? Well. Either Jensen knows, Jensen's not paying attention, Jensen is superly biased, or or whatnot. But Jensen did get something that, to many external observers, wrong. That was so obvious. Like you know, people are fallible. Nobody's perfect. Even you know, what well, he was actually what picked as the number one CEO this year, right? Harvard Business Review or whatever ranked him number one of all CEOs uh, over over like a last five year period. Based on well, on how Nvidia has performed and and whatnot, so yeah, I mean, uh, I, I'm not I, I'm not going to walk that back and let let them off the hook. Like I I do think they knew a lot more than they let on, and that a lot of people got hurt by that in that in p- window of investing because uh, they really downplayed that risk. I mean, if you look at the Q2 call when the OEM crypto business, they're like they guided it to like four million or whatever, like. You know, we'll do like almost nothing in that in Q3. Crypto's over. Don't worry about it. It's irrelevant. And you're like, well, no, the story in crypto is not your OEM business. It's what percentage of the gaming business has been massively inflated by it and what happens to the channel when that resets. 
and that inventory has to be worked through that has been gobbled up demand wise from, from from the miners. So, like that that was something that like they just either just felt like couldn't go wrong and were clueless on, or they were incompetent, or in the worst case, they were knowledgeable of it and they felt they had a plan to work through it. Okay, okay, I think that's so. Let's let's stop there. That's we got the full picture both on the management team at the last point, but then on Nvidia as a whole, their position, etc. So really, for people who followed your work last year, I think it, this is going to be really interesting to hear the turnaround. Any positions to disclose besides Nvidia before we wrap? We talked about a bunch of chip stocks. We brought up. No, I, I, I literally would not be along a single other chip name right now. So okay, I think we briefly mentioned Google, so I will say that I am long Google. I mean, we mentioned Amazon, we mentioned Google, uh, I think, or Microsoft. Uh, right. Uh, presently, not in any of those. Okay. Great. Although I do wonder when Amazon stock will ever start to uh, rally again. Uh, it hasn't. It has tempted me here and there. Oh, but. Interesting. Okay, well, and so next time we're going to be talking about growth and sort of just the way the market has been moving, I think. And so, uh, I yeah, look- stocks that move like 50% every three weeks. So, yeah, so I look forward to doing that. And Akram, <laughs> thanks as always for your time and go walking through all of this. Yeah, no, no problem. All right, take it easy. Take care. Thanks for listening to The Razor's Edge. I hope you enjoyed it. As always, you can find this podcast on the Investing Edge channel, which you can subscribe to wherever you get your podcasts. You can get this podcast as well as Value Investor's Edge by Jay Menzbein. Check out The Razor's Edge on Seeking Alpha by typing in Akram's Razor or The Razor's Edge. Thanks for listening and see you next time.